Keep your Bibles open uh, if you've closed them. Uh, If you don't bring a Bible to church, let me encourage you to do that. It's great for us to have uh, God's Word before our eyes as we look at it, as we hear Him speak. Uh, So do bring a Bible along with you. If you don't have one, there are some uh, out on the foyer. Uh, And on the back of your outlines, or back of your handouts, you'll find an outline uh, of the sermon if you find that helpful. But I want to know right now, don't answer me out loud, it might be embarrassing, but how significant is church to you? How significant do you think the church is? How important is what we are doing right now? Maybe another way of putting it is, if our church were to close its doors tomorrow, would it matter to you? If every church were to close its doors tomorrow, would it matter to you? How would you describe church? Is it momentous? Life-changing? Revolutionary? Is this how we think of church? Now, I, I doubt many of you would use those words to describe church. No offence, you're all very lovely, but 45 people sitting in a room is hardly world-changing. All these people driving their cars by this morning, they're not going to slam on their brakes and pull over to marvel at what it is that we're doing right now. To most of those people driving past, what we are doing right now is just irrelevant. It's not even a blip on their radar. Now, for many of us here in the building, church is fairly ordinary. It's just something we do, something that we've always done. It's a part of life. Some of us love it, some of us tolerate it, some of us would probably rather not be here. How significant is church to you? Because while it's irrelevant to those people out there, while it might be ordinary to us sitting inside, in that passage that Colin just read, we're about to see that to God, the God who planned the church and built the church and continues to nurture and grow and love the church, to God, his church is the most important thing there is. We're about to see that to God, the church is the climax of world history. It's the focal point, the goal of his plans for the world. See, to to God, the church is glorious and special. He proudly displays his church for all to see. The church is the center of God's attention. And so this morning, it's my hope that we will see the church and make it the center of our attention too. But I suspect that for most of us, there's a big gap between how God sees the church and how we see the church. That is a big gap that we're going to need to ask God to help us bridge. So why don't we pray and ask that God would help to open our eyes to see the church as he does. Would you pray with me? Now, Father, we've already thanked you this morning, but we thank you again for gathering us together as your church, for bringing us who are dead in sin and making us alive, for bringing us who were wandering aimlessly in darkness and shining your light. Lord, we thank you that you have built your church. But Lord, as we hear you speak to us through these words in Ephesians now, would you open our eyes to see the church the way you see it? To see how significant, how important, how life-changing 
it truly is. Would you do that in us by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, taking a look at Ephesians chapter 3, uh, it's a bit of a confusing chapter. Because if you have a look at that very first verse, Paul starts off with an idea in his head and then he gets sidetracked. He kind of takes a tangent in verse 2 and he doesn't come back to his initial thought until verse 14. He takes a massive tangent. So we're just going to leave verse 1 behind for now. Uh, We're going to start off in verse 2. Because in verses 2 to 6, Paul wants to share with the Ephesians a mystery. Have a look, verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now, a mystery, a mystery is simply something that is hidden, something that is obscured, something that we can't see. Now, I got a mystery this week. I got an email from KFC. It said something big was about to happen, and it didn't tell me what it was. It left it hanging. It was a mystery. It said, all will be revealed on Friday. The next day, I received another email. It said, get ready for something huge. Only 24 hours until the big announcement, until the unveiling of this mystery. The suspense was killing me. What could it be? I wasn't really very enthralled at all. But anyway, uh, on Friday morning, I rushed to my computer in eager expectation, wondering what it is that KFC was about to unveil. Had they discovered life on Mars? Was the colonel about to run for president? No. Friday morning, the momentous news was a two and a half thousand kilojoule burger. Just what the world needed, right? (laughs) Well, just like KFC, that's a silly example, but just like KFC, Paul was also privy to a mystery. He claims in these verses that he knew something that other people didn't know. In fact, it was something kept hidden by God himself. Verse 5 says it was not made known to people in other generations. But now, by the Holy Spirit, God has made it known to Paul in verse 3. And he's made it known to the other apostles and prophets, verse 5. This is a new revelation from God, something that was hidden, now revealed. And so what was it? What is this gift? What is this mystery? Well, Paul gives us the big reveal in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, And sharers together in the promises in Christ Jesus. Now, to some of us, that might not seem like very big news. It might seem on par with KFC's announcement. Uh, But this truly is monumental. Remember last week, we saw that for almost all of human history, up until this point, the only way for a person... To be in relationship with God, to be saved from sin, and to inherit eternal life in God's kingdom 
The only way for that to happen was through exclusively Jewish means. It was Jews that God had chosen to be his people. It was Jews that God provided for and cared for and protected. It was Jews that God promised to bless. And it was to the Jews that God sent the Messiah, Jesus, the Jewish king. At every point in history, up until the event that Paul's describing, Jews had almost exclusive access to God. Gentiles, non-Jews, people like you and me, were far away from God and had no hope of ever finding him. We were dead in sin. We were facing God's anger because of that sin, because we had rejected him. We were godless and hopeless. That's what Paul says in chapter 2. But God's plan from the very beginning, a plan kept hidden, but now revealed in Jesus and made known through his revelation of the Holy Spirit to the apostles like Paul, is that all people can now have equal access to God. Have a look at verse 6. Notice the word together. This mystery is that Through the gospel, the Gentiles, people like you and me, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. You see, this news is that people like us have been written into the will. We've been made a legitimate part of God's family. And not not second-class citizens, not an add-on after the real family. No, no, we fully belong. The mystery that Paul is speaking about is that Jesus has established a new body, a new family, a new people who belong to him. It's sitting here in this room. The mystery is the church. This is God's big announcement. This is God's big news for the world. The mystery kept hidden for ages past, but now revealed is that through Jesus, all people can now belong to Jesus through his church. Well, as we move on to verse 7, we see that the reason God let Paul in on this plan, the reason God chose to reveal this mystery to Paul and the other apostles was so that it might be made known to others. God didn't want this kept hidden. He wanted it known. And so in verse 7, Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Just as God made known to Paul his plan for the church in verse 2, Paul now makes the plan known to the Gentiles in verse 8. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. God wanted this mystery revealed, proclaimed, preached. And notice what he's preaching. The boundless riches of Christ. 
I read an article recently about a woman whose job it is to notify people when they've won the jackpot in the lottery. That's a job. And so when someone wins the jackpot, they get a phone call from this woman letting them know that they're rich. And in this article, this woman tells of how quite often the reaction that she receives is one of disbelief. People think that she's a practical joker. They think she's having them on. And so she ends up having to spend quite a lot of time convincing people that they're rich. They don't believe that they've actually won because it's unbelievable, isn't it? Well, this is the same task that God's given Paul. Paul's job, given to him by God, was to tell the Gentiles that they were richer than they would ever imagine. Through Jesus, they had received the boundless riches of Christ. Boundless or unsearchable, your Bible might say. Riches with no limits. Unlimited riches. Are you getting the idea here? This is insane. And so you can imagine, that's a task that requires some persuasion. It seems too good to be true. It's hard for us to get our heads around the fact that God has chosen to bless us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. But by gathering his children into the church, Christ is lavishing us with his riches. We are the recipients of those riches. If you're a part of Christ's church, you have won the jackpot. We may just need some persuading to see it. Well, Paul keeps going. Because this mystery is so amazing. This news is so good that everyone needs to know it. And so in verse 9, he says just that. He goes on sharing this good news, first to the Gentiles, and he also goes on to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. The whole world needs to know this news that God welcomes everyone into his church. And so the mystery has been revealed from God to Paul by the Spirit, by revelation. It's recorded for us here in Scripture so that we might know it. And that message continues to spread out. It spreads out from Paul to the Gentiles back in the first century. It spreads from the other apostles around the Roman world. And it continues to spread today this news, this wondrous plan of the church. And it keeps spreading today, doesn't it? It arrived here in Australia a little while ago now. And it continues to spread today as more and more people come to discover the riches that are theirs in Jesus, the life that they can have in him. But as you keep reading in Ephesians 3, Paul tells us that there's actually one more place that this message needs to spread. One more place for the glorious outcome of God's plan to be displayed. You have to think, where else could it go, right? But take a look at verse 10. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's get our heads around this. The the church is God's eternal plan. Back in Ephesians 1, we saw that before the creation of the world, before there was anything, God made a plan to unite people to himself with Jesus as their king. That plan was made in eternity past. It was kept hidden for thousands of years. Now, sure, there were teasers and little tasters, sneak peeks throughout the Old Testament, but it was only when Jesus set foot on this earth that this mystery was revealed, that God opened the door for all people to come to him. And now, today, the age of the church continues to unfold. As we speak, God is continuing to bring people to himself, to save sinners and bring them into his family. Taking people like us who were dead in sin and giving them life, people who are in darkness and shining light. He is making his new creation. He's giving us new identities. And he's taking people from all nations on earth, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, men and women, young and old, and he's uniting them all together in his church. And verse 10 tells us that as he does that, angels look on in amazement. His intent was that now through the church, through us, the manifold, multifaceted wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The fact that we are here is proof to the universe that God is amazing. As we are gathered into God's church, angels are being knocked to, their, knocked to the floor in amazement at God's plan. And as we make known this news to others, as we share the hope of Jesus with others and more people come to put their trust in Jesus and are united into his church, God is making known to cosmic powers how great he is. The universe stands in amazement at what God has done to build his church. Angels marvel at his love and generosity and kindness and care. Well, all this goes to show us something, doesn't it? All this goes to show us that the church is more important than we think it is. We may think church is ordinary. Church is not ordinary. Some people might think it's irrelevant. It's certainly not irrelevant. Because church, the church, the universal church, is the goal of God's rescue plan. To God, it's the highlight of world history. It's the thing above all other things that God has created and angels marvel at. Just imagine that for a second. Every time I go down to Noosa Heads, I marvel at that place, that beautiful place that God has made. It's stunning. I marvel at that, but God also created the Great Barrier Reef and the Amazon rainforest and the Himalayas and countless other breathtaking places on this planet. He also created the Milky Way galaxy and a universe so vast that we don't even know how big it is. 
All these things God created, and they are stunning. But of all the things that God created, there is one thing that tops them all. One thing that angels marvel at. It's this. The angels marvel at God's creation of the church. Now it's hard for us to imagine that. But this is what God is trying to show us this morning. The church is more important than you think it is. As far as God is concerned, it's the high point of human history. You know, we divide human history by all sorts of different ways. We might think in terms of technology. We talk about the Bronze Age and the Iron Age and the Silicon Age. We might divide history in terms of who's in control. We talk about the Roman Empire and the British Empire. We define history in terms of the battles and wars, in terms of influential philosophical ideas. Even today, we sort of divide recent history into pre-COVID and post-COVID. We define and divide history in all sorts of different ways. But to God, the defining feature of any stage in history is that this is the age of the church. This is when his plan is revealed. There was the time before, ages past when it was hidden, and now there's the time when it's known and it grows and it declares God's glory to the angels. The church is the climax of history. He planned it in eternity past. He kept it hidden for ages, and now it's revealed. Now God has ushered in this glorious new age of his church where all people can come to know him, to enjoy him, to live with him forever. And now that it's here, it's never going anywhere. It is the church, God's people, gathered to worship him that will continue into eternity. The world, everything you see around us will pass away, but the church will not. This is the high point of human history. And the church is the centre of history. It's also the centre of the gospel itself. And I think this is a, a helpful uh, corrective for many of us because we often think about the gospel in very individual terms, don't we? Uh, we think about the gospel as personal salvation. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We make the gospel about us, about our sins being forgiven and us receiving eternal life and enjoying heaven forever. Perfectly true, but not the whole picture. This passage shows us that the centre of the gospel is God's creation of a new community, made up of new individuals, but it's the community, the body, the people who belong to him that is at the centre of the gospel. The church is the goal of the gospel. He doesn't just save you as an individual. He saves you into the family. He makes you a part of his church. And it's here in this church that you live out the purpose for which God created you. To bring glory to him and to enjoy him forever. Which means that when someone claims to follow Jesus but rejects the church, and 
We've all got that friend, don't we? You know, the one who says they're a Christian but doesn't want anything to do with church. When someone says that, well, they're actually rejecting the thing that is at the centre of the gospel. If you follow Jesus, you will follow him through the doors of his church. Because the church is the centre, the focus, the arena in which the gospel is played out. Now, I can understand why people do it, because sometimes churches are just awful, aren't they? Hopefully not this one, but churches are full of people who we don't like. Churches are full of people who we disagree with. Churches are full of sinners. And those sinners are still in the process of their sanctification. They're still growing to become more and more like Jesus. But until they reach that goal, they're going to drive us crazy. And I'm sure many of you will have experienced that. Some of you may have indeed left churches because of some of the people that are there. Church is hard. Sometimes it can be joyless. But the solution is not to walk away from the church or to distance yourself from the church. The solution is to value the church the way God does. Because if God sees the church as the centre of world history... If he sees it as the centre of the gospel, if he sees the church as the centre of his plans for creation, well, it follows that the church must be the centre of our lives too. And this is where the rubber hits the road for us. Simply put, if God thinks the church is important, you should too. And God really values his church. Now, just consider this for a moment. God has been planning his church for eternity. Back in eternity past, before time began, God was planning his church. Last week in the office, I found the plans for this building. There's a lot of them. A lot of thought went into this building. A lot of time went into this building. I'm sure it occupied Keith's mind for a long time. I'm sure it occupied some of your minds for a long time too. This is just a building. Before time began, God was planning his church, but no building in the world could contain it because God's church spans all of time and encompasses every nation on earth. It includes millions and millions of men and women and children who are united together with Jesus as their king. God planned his church and he went to great lengths to build it. He sent Jesus, who sacrificed himself in love to buy his church. He spared nothing to gather his scattered children back into his church. And he's still doing that today. God adores his church. He has painstakingly built it. He provides and cares for it. He treasures it. And so the question for all of us is, do we treasure it? You'll know, because if you see the church the way God sees the church, then it will occupy a central place in your life. You'll joyfully give yourself to the work of God's church. You'll love and serve the people in God's church. You'll give generously to help those both within and outside of the church. And just like Paul in verse 1 and in verse 14... 
You'll even be willing to endure suffering for the sake of proclaiming the good news of Christ's church to the world. Friends, the church is bigger than you think it is. So let's treasure it the way God does. And one of the best ways that we can do that is to pray for it. And in verse 14, that's exactly what Paul does. He prays for the Ephesian church. And this is my favorite prayer in the New Testament. And so I'm going to pray it for our church now. So would you pray with me? To the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know the love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.